Well, here we are. I mean, it's only been a year since in person. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's nice to see your shining face here in the studio. Yeah, and what do you do? It's like I run into you this week, and hey, let's do a podcast. You sit up, set up a Teams meeting. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Yeah, I missed on that. I missed on that for sure, but we're here. We made it. Okay, for the record, I am done with Teams. I am done with Zoom. If there is ever the chance to actually, even with you, get you in person, in front, see the faces, and get this thing more than just the one-dimensional nonsense, necessary nonsense, that we have been dealing with for the last year, done with it. Done, done, done. High-quality audio, it's a thing. I've never valued it as much. I might value it more than even seeing your face right now. Wow. Well, I won't take it personally. I said might. Give me to the end of the, end of little, the podcast but... and maybe. <laughs> also, congratulations. The man who fixed Mike Zanino. You really did it. Thank you. It's uh, You know, it was a long-term investment. People thought it was all about, you know, just the performance once he came through and came back from Tacoma and started hitting bombs. But no, it was a long-term investment that I've been working in and it's paying off. And um, I'm just thankful that people like you recognize the work that I put in to make this happen. Well, it's a process and we know that. That's right. You Patience trust is involved in it. You have <laughs> to trust the process clearly i mean i don't know if mike himself actually trusted it throughout or maybe that was the problem That's part of it. it you know but you stayed with him and man i, I so 13 12 13 bombs hitting 222 the last i checked that's like which, 40 points above the mariners average is great well it is and not only that but it's like you know 222 this year's like 270 isn't it yes and the ops in the 800s uh, uh, north of 850 Way to go, Mike Zanino. Way to go, Howdy. Good job right there. (laughs) Um, Hopefully, uh, you don't have to work your magic on Cal Raleigh, who that has just been so exciting to watch. I don't know if you have, but you didn't you go down to Tacoma once? Did you have something to do with that, too? Uh, No, I won't won't lay any blame or credit on that situation, but I may have to do some talking to Jared Kelnick by the time he gets sent down, (laughs) because that's coming, but... Howdy fix Kelnick. That has a nice (laughs) ring to it. Now, that's going to have some staying power. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get to all of that. Uh, It's great to be able to do a podcast in person once again. And uh, we're going to get to as much as we can in about 45 minutes. And there's no way we're going to get to it all. This has just been an odd season. And it's really caught me by surprise. And in that, okay, we've got the full six months. Yay, it's not two months of pandemic, strange baseball with an alternate site. And what the heck is going on? We've got the full six months. But I have found that my baseball clock has been off. And in watching what we have been watching the last two months, there have been times when I have panicked. And I am usually the very last one. I am let the process play out, have the patience, you know what the end goals are. And I mean, I have been just in states of despair at times over the last two months. And that never happens. And I've determined it's because my baseball clock is off after just a two-month season last year. Do you think so? Because there are a lot of people out there panicking. And I'll put myself in that category, but I feel like it's justified. I feel like this Mariners season, compared to maybe the last five, is more of a time where it's it's a little better to be reactionary because they're getting to the point where this rebuild's been going on for a while and the minor league system is in place. So I think that you're a little justified and all of us are a little justified in being a little more reactionary this year. No? Uh, I think reactionary in baseball is usually not a good thing. But I do think that because of everything that you just said, I think we are to the point, and this is a good thing, that the stakes have been heightened. And they should be. 
you know, and, and when you talk about patience, the first thing, we've been patient for 20 years. Yes, this is true. It has not been a 20-year rebuild. I don't think we need to rehash all that. Rebuild is when they tore the whole thing apart, said they were going to take a couple of years and do this, went young and, and went from there. So that's, you know, just it hasn't been 20 years of rebuild. Bad baseball does not add up to a rebuild. But, um, yeah, it's understandable. But for me, where they are in this plan and last year you cannot count as well, Jerry DePoto said they'd be ready to compete in 2021. Yeah, then COVID hit. What is normal since COVID hit? Two months of a baseball season does not grow a young team. That's all there is to it. But this year is last year in that plan. So the stakes are heightened. This team, in my view, has got to be ready to show that they are going to take that next step next year or they have the opportunity to take that step. And by take that step, it means compete for the playoffs. Nobody is ever guaranteed playoffs. You don't do that in baseball. Too many wacky things can happen. But at the end of the season, they've got to be there and they've got to be to a point where they cannot give anybody any excuse not to make significant additions. That was the plan. When we get close, we are going to make these additions. But you've got to grow those players, find out what they are. And I think to that end, yeah, there is a sense of urgency uh, and the fans part, and it's not just because they haven't had a postseason in 20 years. This is it. And I think it is a reasonable expectation for everything that has been laid out that they do compete next year. How do they get there? Now, that's where when I panic about it in April, when you see some horrendous baseball for a week at a time, or you see you know a week where it looks like they could get no hit every night, or the injuries piling up, then you're just like, oh my gosh. You know, this isn't working, but it's month one, it's month two. It doesn't matter that they are hitting, what, 205 today. That might have gone up after the 11 hits last night uh, uh, on, on June 4th. What matters is what they are at the end of the season. So talk me through some of the things that have caused you to panic so far. I mean, there's there's been a lot of things to panic about. You know, some of the things that you can panic about are merited. They're panic-worthy, but... Some maybe you're just a little bit more like, hey, we want to see better baseball and it's just not working out and there's some disastrous results, right? What are some of the things that maybe caused you a little bit more concern that may stick with you a little bit? What caused me concern, and I do think that over the last 10 days, I think they've taken a step in the right direction. What caused me concern is when they were not having success or when they were having success, but it was with... um not the players that they needed to have success with. And I think that you need to break it down. When you look at that average, uh, if you could break it down into the players that matter for the future, it would be something very different. So they were the worst hitting team in baseball. Well, if you've got a 7-9 through nine or a 6-9, through nine, as it often was, of players who are not going to be here next year, being a significant part of that, well, don't panic about that. You know, don't read into that. That doesn't matter for what they ultimately are trying to do. Uh, that, to me, that was, you know, where I had to have a little bit of a reset. But then when you look at that lineup and the guys who are supposed to be there aren't hitting, then you start to worry about it. But I think we've seen J.P. Crawford's bat come around, and I think we're finding out more about what he is. I think ideally on a championship team, you don't want him hitting at the top of the order, although he's doing a nice job of it right now. And I'll leave the door open for maybe at the end of the season. It does look like that is something that he can do. Uh, but he has been kind of almost a stabilizing factor in this lineup in that he stabilized the bottom of it. And now with the need at the top, he is right back there. So, you know, doors open to what he can do. 
and, and kudos to him because I think a lot of it revolved around him, but that's a check mark. Okay, you always felt great about him defensively, starting to feel better about him offensively. Losing Kyle Lewis is a concern, and, and that knee has to be a concern going forward. Uh, at the end of last year, yes, he won Rookie of the Year, but it was an up and down, and he finished on a down note that he believed was about to take off. We believed he was about to take off right when he got hurt again, but we don't know much more about him now than we did at the end of last year. And if he if he had a career that was what he had put up so far this season long, like if that was his average, I'd feel pretty good about that. It's not an all-star performer, but that's an above-average outfielder, and you can build with that. Right. That's a that's a real piece, you know? But if he's going to get injured every season or if his knee's not going to recover and can continue to degrade and his speed's going to go like now he's not a center fielder now he's a corner outfielder so you don't really have a center fielder of the future in your system that's a, that's a that's an issue to deal with there's there's a lot to be concerned about the future with Kyle Lewis now yeah and i think i look at it more on an individual level it'd be great to have him i think a lot of people that quite frankly forgot they had him and he could be a factor nobody thought he would be in center field so i i don't know that true, you say true. that you don't have a center fielder taylor Trammell might be a center fielder you didn't have taylor Trammell when you were first kind of laying all of this out possibly jared kelnick has played center throughout his career uh I think, you know, I'm not panicking on that front that, oh, my gosh, they have to go get a center fielder. I, I think that that right now there is some coverage Jake Fraley has played there. But now we're going to learn more about Jake Fraley. We are going to learn more about Taylor Trammell. And, uh, you know, the good news is, is that even with Kyle Lewis out, we're not looking at infielders in the outfield right now. Right. And we've been doing that for three years right now. And that's a terrible thing. Yeah. And so their depth there. And Julio's coming up at some point. I'm not concerned about the offense. I'm concerned as an individual for Kyle Lewis. Do I think they will be okay without him? Yes, I hope they are not without him long term. And you hope that this knee injury that he is suffering right now is not going to be the knee injury that kind of makes okay. You might be a DH. You might not be able to play every day. You hope for his sake. But this is a rough one with everything that's gone on with that knee. Uh, the catching situation, that was a surprise. And maybe it shouldn't have been. Uh, Tom Murphy had one very good solid year. And he was a mess at the start of the season. And I think a lot of it was between the years. Mm. I had conversations with him in the offseason in spring training. And one of the first things that always came up with, he came up with was, you know, I'm going to be 30. And I'm starting out at 30. And it's important that I get going. I'm behind the gun right now. And I think he put far too much pressure on himself. Uh, it's good to see him hitting right now. I thought, you know, I think Louis Louis Trends that was disappointing to see Very what we saw from him. I mean, to be frank, he is the he was really was. You could say it was the reliever, but he he really was the centerpiece of that deal. That the, to feel no, like no, to no, feel no. like they got a guy who was undervalued by his team to play catcher and be one of those average Ty France. Nobody really knew if he could even play a full position. Wait, 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 for, well, for no, Ty France was the centerpiece of that. They knew Ty, Ty France, that was the get in that trade. Ty France is an all-bat player who potentially may never be able to play in the field when he was acquired. He's playing first base every day, but they got him for that bat, and they're willing to absorb they're willing to absorb whatever it is in the field and hopefully grow what it is in the field. Let's not forget they've got Perry Hill, and they have been able to improve infielders. 
Ty France was the prize in that deal. That's who they were specifically going after. Terenz, I, I think, was a, a surprise and an interesting history in that he was Rule 5 and spent a year on a major league roster and did not play much and then was sent back. Uh, but what we saw from him last year was I think that there was some surprise on that he was as versatile with the outfield, not versatile, but that he, um, the way that he used the whole field in his hitting and his approach in hitting, I, I think was a little bit of a surprise. He's not a guy that they would look to hit a bunch of bombs, but he was a guy that could move a line around on a consistent basis. That's something that they saw. The defense looked okay last year and then obviously everything took a step back in the first two months and my feeling was was i thought you know he would be a very good because they didn't have many but last off season i thought he might be a prime trade piece Hmm. for jerry depoto because teams need catching and mariners of course have cal raleigh coming up tom murphy is you know he has the look of the veteran that could be the number two for a long long time but out of the gates i mean neither catcher produced and now you've got question marks there of course Cal Raleigh is down in Tacoma enjoying a 15 game hitting streak right now and you know when do we see him that remains to be seen it'd but- be nice to see some of the other prospects ahead of Cal Raleigh perform so it doesn't seem like there's just a string of guys who are being called up who aren't ready <laughs> like if Jared Kelnick or Taylor Trammell or one of those guys came up and just started performing well enough then you could sort of pitch this idea of, okay, let's bring up Cal Raleigh. It doesn't really matter if he starts off well. If he starts off poorly again, you've basically had every one of your young prospects come up and not succeed. Well, here's the thing. Most prospects don't come up and succeed right off the bat. And this year, I think it's different than anything that we have seen before. I think there's a bigger divide between AAA and the big leagues than we have ever seen before. Let's remember that most of these prospects that are coming up and not succeeding didn't play games for a full year. Yeah. Let's remember that. Let's also remember that the pitching is insane in the big leagues right now, and that's why you are seeing the batting averages and the hitters struggle and the league average be so low. Um, one of the really interesting things uh, that we came that uh, kind of got clarity on in the post game show is when we talked to Jared Kelnick early on. Uh, I, I think it might have even been after that second game where he had the, the home run in the doubles. He said that. Well, you know, up here, pitchers are really, I find that they're really nibbling with me. They're really kind of pitching around the edges. And I talked with Mike Blowers about that about a week later, and he, he chuckled, the Blowers chuckle, I th- which I think we all love, Unroot Sports. He said, no, that's how they pitch up here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's an adjustment right there. And I, I think that um, that is something, that you know, again, between the divide between AAA and the big leagues, and the unfortunate part of it is, is you can't replicate this pitching in AAA. And uh, and another thing is they're seeing more spin on the baseball, and that could change soon because they're going to start cracking down. Theoretically. On- <laughs> I, my, I have some conspiracy theory beliefs. You know me and my conspiracy theories. That, to me, is going to be a next-year issue once the collective bargaining is out of the way, but... I hear you. Well, there were reports yesterday that they are, they're going to empower the umpires to do something about it. And there are some spin rates that you are starting to see go down on some pitchers that have had a lot of success. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, the problem is, okay, so your, your young players come up, they struggle, they go back to AAA. What are they going to get at AAA not facing the pitching that they faced at the big league levels on the same line? What are they getting at AAA before they come up to the big leagues? And it's just no comparison to what they're seeing right now. 
So what Jared Kelnick is seeing in all of his at-bats right now looks nothing like what he was seeing at AAA. He's killing AAA for a week. Why keep him down there anymore? Let him get this look, take it back if he needs to take it back. And we could be getting there. We'll see. You saw the beginning of the process and moving him down in the order. He's getting more days off. You saw Scott Service hold him out against a tough lefty uh, last or a couple of days ago. That's all part of the process. And, you know, if you're panicking, panicking about his average right now, don't. It doesn't matter right now. It matters where he is at the end of the season. If he all of a sudden finds it in the next week, great. Nobody's going to care what he did in his first 30 games. If he has to go back down in the minors to find it again and be back up and have some success at the end of the season, that's okay too. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's where he is at the end. But what he's going to have to do is what you hope Taylor Trammell did. And it's too early. He's had a couple of good games with the bat, but you need to see a little bit more, is that, okay, I've seen this, and I've seen this, and I've seen this. You go back to AAA, you've got a lot more confidence facing that pitching. You build up that confidence. You have the opportunity to take the deep breath. You're not under the big lights. These games don't matter as far as wins and losses go and have a chance to get going, but you've got to process what you saw, and you've got to be ready for that when you come back, because I do think that Kelnick is, it was pretty much taken aback by what he saw in terms of pitching. You know, it does have to be hard for those guys when they see that pitching that they've never been accustomed to, and they, they can't figure out a way to adjust to it. I imagine that there's, you know, just a bunch of different pitches that they have to constantly be thinking about. Like, I hope I don't see this pitch. I have to be ready for these kinds of pitches. When you get to take that step back and you no longer have those, I wonder if it helps them to say, like, you know, I'm not going to have to worry about those sliders in the outside corner in a, you know... 2-0 count. You know, I don't have to think about that in the minor leagues. I can just get ready to hit those fastballs that are going to be there and be focused on that. And once you start seeing that success, it takes some of the pressure off of, I hope I don't see this pitch and gives a little more confidence to say, when I get this other pitch I know to hit, I'm going to hit it. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's going to be helpful for some of these young hitters as they go up and down a little bit from the majors this year. It should be, but you have to see it because you're not going to see it in AAA. You'll see the pitches. You'll see the you know 100-mile-an-hour fastball. You'll see a nasty breaking ball here and there, but you're not going to see them used the same way. You are not going to be pitched in the same way, and you're certainly not going to have as many pitches to hit within an at-bat, and I think that that is probably the big learning, and that is the big adjustment, and he's going through a struggle right now, and either he pulls out of it or he needs to go get a little bit of a tune-up, but the most important thing is, is he's seeing it, and he wouldn't have seen that with three more weeks in AAA. So let's go forward and, and, and look at where they are in the rebuild, because we've talked a little bit about being reactionary and how the season's weight is heightened a little bit based on the fact that they really should be competing next year based on how much talent they have in their organization. What sort of things give you hope that they're going to be ready for next year based on what you've seen and what you understand about this team? They're moving forward right now. And uh, just talked about J.P. Crawford, and you think, well, he's been up at the big league level for a couple of years now. He's still a big piece of that. You've still got to get answers on, on is this the long-term shortstop? Is, is he going to provide enough offense? And that doesn't necessarily mean he's got to be hitting home runs. He's got There's got to be a spot for him in that lineup where he is producing, and, and it would appear that there is. Uh, Ty France, even though you don't think he can field, uh, I think one of the best things we saw is we saw him struggle, and that was just really kind of odd. And then you saw that struggle extend, and you're like, ooh. And that was one of the panic moments. Maybe Ty France isn't what we thought he was. Nope, Ty France was hurt. Yeah, And he comes yeah. back, and you see that right away yep. when he gets back. And so lesson to young players out there, if you're hurt, 
let them know. <laughs> Stop. Yep. Get well. Then come back and be yourself. Uh, that's a big positive right there that that's moving in the right direction. Uh, the fact that you do have the outfielders up now and you are going to have a chance to look at um, to look at Taylor Trammell. Is he really, really a possible piece of the future uh, on this team? Is he really, you know, he's a former first-round pick. He's a guy that they keep saying has power that they didn't know that he had. And, man, that home run he hit when he got back, that was a thing of beauty. Yes. And the way he watched it was a thing of beauty <laughs> as well. I'm just like, oh, my, everything stopped for about two seconds. Absolutely fantastic. But you need to see him in, in, in a couple months and see what that looks like. But he's there, and you have that opportunity. And right now that seems to be moving in the right direction. What about the rotation? Let's get a little bit there because okay, we really haven't talked about any pitching more, yeah. situations. And we've seen a grab bag of really interesting things from starting pitching, particularly in the young arms. I'm going to lump Kikuchi as a young arm. Mm-hmm. But in Kikuchi, Dunn, Sheffield, those three are sort of the, the to me, entering the season – those were the X factors in terms of how close they were going to be towards being ready next year. Right. Because if they hit on two of those three, you've got a rota- starting rotation of three quality MLB arms throwing Marco into that group of two of three. And I think we agree that they need to go out and find a true ace type, right? Absolutely. Not I don't like know if a that's team the... ace, but like a true or a kind of 1A true ace, a top, a, a, absolute, a championship top of the rotation. And I've always thought that they, they are going to need to do that. And I, I'm wondering now, um, I know that you all have been trying to convince me of this for years, if they, if they no longer need that to get to the playoffs. I've, I've long wondered whether this team could even get to the playoffs unless they had a frontline starter. If they're if they truly have dependable enough starting pitching, if yeah. they have three starting pitchers that they know these are going to be a slightly above major league average starting pitchers and they're going to pitch full seasons, I don't know that you need the ace to get to the playoffs. You're going to need it to win in the playoffs mm-hmm. in my opinion, but that affords you a little bit because you don't have to say, "All right, it's 2022, the first major 35 million dollar signing we need to make or trade is to get a starting pitcher and then hope that everybody else sort of lifts everything up you right know? right I, I think that they if they if they do hit on the three of those starters they could be in a pretty good position to build a playoff roster without it no i agree with that now i'm recalling that i think we've had this conversation before that we came around to that or or it was a question we're not absolutely sure yeah. but if you have and, and bullpen is key to that obvious you've sure. got to have a very good bullpen to do that but if you've got guys that can go out there and give you those six innings and, and it's now six it's not really seven and right. a lot of people want to think that it's seven it's six uh, if they can give you that on a consistent basis, uh, is that enough to get there? You know, maybe if, if they are going along those lines, then it's a it's not an off season addition; it's more of a trade deadline type addition. But I do think that you know if you know it's tough to point to true World Series teams that don't have that guy. Um, but yeah, no, do you need that right away if those guys are doing that? Probably not. But as for what we're seeing from the young players, Justin Dunn has been so interesting and this is a guy that i think was really on the edge he had to show something pretty quick and he did and i I think that there were a lot of questions for a long time around baseball is he truly a reliever is he going to 
show enough in, in, in a third pitch to be able to, you know, stick in a rotation and get outs a third time through is a rotation. Is this primary stuff going to play up to its projections? Well, it didn't for two years, exactly. and now it is. Yes. And now it is. And then there was also, I think he's had to make a lot of adju- adjustments on the mental side. You know, I, I think that he tried to put too much into it. And he, he's one of those guys who I think um, he likes looking the part. And, mm. and there's nothing wrong with that. And he likes saying the right things. But when there's too much, there comes a time when you need to simplify a little bit. And I think that he did do that. And I think that he is trusting his stuff now that is back. I don't think he was at the beginning. And he thought, well, I've got to nibble here. Or I've got to try and, uh, you know, throw this pitch when I can really rely more on this one quite a bit more. Um, so he's been interesting to me. And I'm watching Justin this year. That kind of seems like the progression that you should see in a first full year. I, it's almost textbook. And so I like what you were seeing from him. Obviously, the walks aren't quite as much of a problem as they were the last two years with him, and the beginning isn't. And that's the big difference from him over the last two years. He would get into trouble and could not get out other than by walking his way out of that trouble. He's not doing that anymore. He might have an inning where he gives up some runs, but he gets out of it, and that's huge. That's a big step forward for him. And he's learning to pitch. He's learning to you know, hit all corners of the plate. He's learning to pitch inside a little bit more, to use his stuff more. Really like what I'm seeing from Justin Dunn. For a couple of years, it's been hard to watch Justin Dunn and Yusei Kikuchi be the same player in different ways for me. <laughs> like, Kikuchi give up, gives up the long ball. That was a big part of his deal. But to me, there was a pretty similar problem. There wasn't a lot of trust in their stuff. Their right. stuff wasn't playing up to the way that it was supposed to play. And there was a lot of working around guys and yeah. not working through guys. Yes. And interestingly enough, both of those players through the season, not from the jump, but through this season, have started to make progress in all those areas. And the results are amazing. I mean, both of them have sub-4 ERAs. And that's that's impressive work from guys who were really struggling in years past. And they both, I think, earn the trust of their manager, too, where you don't have to go rescue them early and that you can let them go a little bit further. And that is so important in the development of a pitcher, learning how to work through that lineup the third time, learning how to get out of a sticky situation when you don't have your best stuff. And we're seeing they are being allowed to stay in uh, longer. On the other side, you had Justice Sheffield, who had a very good year last year, and there were people that were not happy. He was not mentioned in Rookie of the Year talk. That's where he was a year ago. This year, I don't know if I want to say he's taken a step backwards because that was just two months last season, but he's not taking huge steps forwards. And, and that, you know, to that end, he is going out. He can give you a good five innings. He will battle. He has that trust. He's had that trust from his manager. He knows, you know, Scott Service knows that Sheffield is going to battle. He usually is not going to nibble. He's been nibbling a little bit of late, which is a little bit of a concern. He's had multi-watt games in every start but two this year. Yeah. That's that's not what we saw last year. No. He had a bulldog mentality last year that said, I'm going to go get guys. And that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Do you think that there's something more than just the mental side of it? Is there anything physical stuff-wise that you hear or see that may indicate he doesn't have as much trust in his stuff that he once did? Well, he hasn't really. His slider has been so in and out and more out this year. And I don't mean it's been an absolutely terrible slider, but it hasn't been the electric slider that it has been in the past. And I'm sure that can play a number on you if you don't know if it's there or not. Looked a little bit better last night. Um, I think that probably has something to do with it. And it might perhaps be mentally, because he is that bulldog, that he is going to have to go out there and motor through it and power through it and try and um, 
kind of finesses way a little bit more to get through it, where, again, he needs to go after the hitters more. And I think there's not as much trust in the secondary stuff with him, so throw it more. You need to get it right now. Now's the time to do it. Now, let's not forget, he made a significant change last year. He absolutely abandoned his four-seamer, went to the two-seamer, which makes him a different pitcher altogether. The mentality of that is different, and I think that sometimes he gets caught in between with that. And that's a realization that uh, Dunn actually had uh, for different reasons. It wasn't that he you know, ditched a pitch or abandoned something. It was he lost them. He didn't have his big fastball for two years. And in that time, he said he learned how to pitch. Well, when he got his fastball back, he had forgotten how to just let it eat. And so we saw that at the beginning of the season with him a little bit, that he was still trying to, oh, now I've got power and I can finesse where you don't want that from him. You want him to go after the hitters. Perhaps a little bit of that is going on with Sheffield right now, but he's not quite where I would want him to be. There's still plenty of time to be there, and I think he's one that you watch carefully along those lines. So we've covered sort of the three X factors. Marco Gonzalez is returning. We're hoping that he's healthy and that the the arm issues are behind him and that he can build from here moving forward and be who he was. He looked great in the last his last outing. Between those four pitchers, do you, at this point, feel like you have enough answers to say the rotation is ready enough to start adding next No, year? I got to see the full season. I like what I'm seeing from Dunn and Kikuchi right now. I've got to see it. for Well, yeah, yeah, you have to add next year, period. Sure. Absolutely. But I want to see it for a full season. But here's the, here's the catch. Here's where this starts to get complicated. The clock on the Mariners, from what I see it, is ticking in a few different ways. One of which is the fact that they haven't yet committed to whether or not Jerry Depoto and their regime is going to be the one to start the adding process again. And we talked about this in the Brock and Sog podcast. There's some reasons to wonder whether they're the right team because when you brought them in, you asked them to supplement that team with veterans to take a core that was already existing and push it over the top, and it failed. It did not work for a couple of years. The guys they added did not push them over the top. So that's now about to be what you're asking them to do. That That's a reason to concern. On the flip side, what he did excel at is adding all these young pieces and creating a new core out of nothing. Has he learned enough through this whole time to be able to take you forward? So there's one question that has to be answered soon because the trade deadline is two months away. Less than two months as we sit here in early June. The other part of that is what are you going to do with some of your veterans? Kyle Seeger is entering the final year. of This is the final year of his deal unless you choose to pick up his option next year. Do you want to make a decision on that now? You're going to need to make a decision because you don't have a third baseman of the future or something close. And third base is not necessarily the hotbed of talent in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, Mitch Haniger is entering the last year of his, of his contract status next season. And... Regardless of rumors, there's no team in baseball who would not have wanted to extend Mitch Haniger at any point in time. If they had Mitch Haniger on the roster from the day he was acquired by the Diamondbacks to today, every month, every year, every team in baseball would have tried to extend that guy. And yet it hasn't happened. So that leads to some pretty serious questions to me, whether or not he's going to be a part of this. So, Do you know that hasn't happened? I don't know that it hasn't happened, but I do know he hasn't signed it. He hasn't signed a deal, and to me... That's that's something. Either the Mariners aren't sure about him, or he's not sure about whether he wants to sign a long-term contract with any team or just the Mariners specifically. I don't have information on any of those fronts, but the clock is ticking on those three aspects, and those are really serious things if you're going to try and build a playoff roster next year. It is, and here... <laughs> 
this is the way that I look at it, and it's a little bit different from, you know, Larry Stone had a great article about why you don't let Mitch Haniger go, and there's been a lot of talk about that. I, with what their ultimate goal this year is to develop their young players, and it is a year-long process. And to me, if you all of a sudden move all of your veterans, and I don't care what you are getting for them unless they are other veterans that are coming in, if you move them all, at the end of July, you're kicking the legs out from under this young team. What do those last two months look like for that young team? Unless they are absolutely the young key players firing on all cylinders, complete upward trajectory, uh, it would be hard to see these veterans taken away from them and all of a sudden say, okay, now go out here and figure it out the last two months of the season. I think that would be detrimental to the development of these young players. I agree with you, and I think that's actually part of what happened early on in the season so far for the young players. This lineup lacks a lot of veteran protection for young guys. Right. When guys are out, they're being replaced with below major league average players. I mean, they're being replaced with former coaches of Woodbat Leagues. Like, this is not... (laughs) This is not a roster that's built to have soft landing spots for young players other than the fact that they're not being counted on to win games right now. There's no protection for people who come into this situation outside of your three best players in the lineup. Or to teach them, what if they do make it to the postseason? Now what? Who's going to tell them how you get through that? I, I, that has been a big takeaway for me is the impact of veterans this year. And you've got to have the right ones, and I don't know that they, you know, you don't have the guys that have been there. You do have good veterans. You've got a few of them, but they haven't been there. What impact will that have? But the idea, and to me, I I liked it. You're going to grow them all at AA, bring them all up together. And they do learn from each other, the young players, and they do have their own leaders within that group. Kyle Lewis is one of them, so that hurts right there. J.P. Crawford, one of them. J.P. Crawford is one of them. That helps right there. But you need those veteran. All you have to do is watch one game. You come to the park, keep your eye on that dugout, and I will tell you, you've got guys elbowing each other to get closer to Seeger, to get closer to Hanniger. That's two. You, I don't think you can just expect them to continue to grow on their own without that help. I, I totally agree with you to sell both of those players. I can buy one, Seager, but to sell both of those players for prospects who, who will be up next year is to me a sign that you're kicking the competition can down the road another year. The next year's not your year because that's way too many pieces to replace. It'd be way year. too big of a roll of the dice for me. Especially since, like you talked about, you don't know enough about your young stars as to whether they're ready to carry a team next year. No, and Evan you White... Haven't, is you haven't a, seen one of them. Evan White is a concern. And not just because he wasn't hitting, it's because he's not. Go- he is going to have at best a full season. Yes, I know he started the season, he's played this many games, but there was so much stop and start between injury, losing his grandfather. It, just that has to all be thrown away at this point. And now it doesn't sound like he will be back... The last we heard is he might be sent out on a rehab assignment when the team returns. That's in 10 days, 12 days. So so you're looking at at least two more weeks, probably three, before you see him in the majors. At least. And, they, and the rehab assignment, you want to see that back get going before you bring him back. I'm not saying keep him down there for two months, but you want to see that back get going before 
he comes back, and he's going to have a shorter amount of time. You've got to see more offense from him. You know what's in there. You've seen it. You just haven't seen it at this level. He does a lot of good things. He has a capability to do a lot of good things at the plate, but you need to see it for a stretch, and that's a big question mark for me on this team right now, and you're, you're running out of time to find it within this season. So Hanniger really is, is to me, the biggest question as to where they're going to go. I personally believe that in the next 45 days, heading up to July 31st, the next 55 days, you're going to know whether or not Mitch Hanniger is the centerpiece of the next Mariners playoff team or he's on another team. Either he's going to sign an extension to me by the time the trade deadline comes around, or they're going to diversify him. And to me, it would be a major, major problem if they traded him for prospects. Mm-hmm. I think that the most likely scenario for the Mariners and Mitch Haniger is that they end up trading him for an equivalent veteran of similar talent who will be here longer. I don't know if it's an outfielder. I don't know if it's somebody at a position you're a little weaker at, like third base, second base, first base. But I believe that the Mariners are going to make a decision about Mitch Haniger's future in the next 55 days. And I think it's most likely that they end up moving him for a veteran piece. I think it could be, and this might sound crazy, I think it could be a challenge to get value for him. Because you're looking, yes, he's getting paid next to nothing in baseball dollars right now. But you'll be looking at one year and two months left on that contract and yes, prospects, everybody's hanging on to them. And you are absolutely correct. I am not trading him for prospects. You need that presence now if you want to continue to develop this group. I, I think that when you look at Mitch, and we talked about Marco this way, and it took a long time for you to come around on this time. one. A long time. But for the value that he held to the team, I didn't think that they could get that in trade for him. And I think Mitch might fall into that category as well if they look at him as having that value to this team. It's not just what he's putting up in numbers, but it is they need another veteran in the lineup. They need to bring these young players along. Uh, They need him to set the example, and he is still that guy. He's the one that they look at, you be that. That's what you want to be. Yes, totally, in every aspect of the game. On-field performance, preparation, mentality, the way that you approach your teammates, leadership, all of it. He is the complete package of what you would want to me as a leader. In a, in, and other a, teams a team. aren't going to put that into their little calculations when they are, well... It's we, true. The, but what here's the what they are going to put into their calculation. This guy's a top three producer of runs, a top three producer in home runs by the time July 20th rolls around. All the talk about his value can sort of go out the window in terms of, well, their team's going to say he's worth it because of his injury history. If he's hitting 260 with 25 home runs at the deadline, <laughs> that's going to be, he'll be target number one for as, as far as a hitter in a rental position that you could possibly, right now. But you don't typically tri- get a lot for that, particularly if they're an off outfielder. If they're young, you particularly still do. If they're, but he's not, he's 30. He's 30, he's not 35. He's not Nelson Cruz. He's 30. Well, and I have and a theory that he too. is Nelson Cruz. I, I think, you know, and if you're the Mariners, you know that. If you're another team, you don't know that. But Mitch Haniger at 30 is not a baseball 30. The way he devotes himself to his routines and to improving those routines and researching what to do every year, I think he's got a shot to be Nelson Cruz. Not that he's going to go out there and hit 40, 50 bombs. 
I think he's got a shot to play for a long time at a high level because of the work that he puts in the devotion to that work. I was interested to see Major League uh, MLB Trade Rumors dot com posted their uh, early preview of the top fifty trade targets at the trade deadline. Number three in baseball was Mitch Haniger. Mm-hmm. I was really surprised. He's up there in rare air of in terms of people that are going to be sought after at the deadline and in just in sort of a neutral outside objective perspective. I think that there's a really good chance that the Mariners need to know. They need to know the future. They have to know whether Mitch Haniger is going to be here long term. I don't. I don't see a way where it makes a lot of sense for them to roll the dice on one year rental of Mitch Haniger next year and hope that they sort of hit on that and then let him walk for nothing. There's no rule that says that. You, well, a lot of players, a lot of good players, walk for nothing because they have value to their club and their club is trying to do something. I. I think. There's a danger of getting caught in a cycle of you have to trade guys if they are not going to be here because of where you're at. Well, this is not where you want to be at. And step one might be not trading a guy like Mitch Haniger, holding on to your player that his teammates call the champion, that kind of thing. If that is what you are going for, you know, again, a lot of really good players run out their contracts with their teams. It's it's not an automatic that you must trade because his contract is almost up. If you can get value and not just any old value, the correct value right. that is going to benefit the team right now, that's a different story. Now, I don't think personally, and this is this is pretty far out there, I don't think that Mitch Haniger is in a situation if you're going to trade him, and you are doing what we're suggesting is if you're going to trade him, you get back a solid current piece right now. You get a, co- a current vet who's going to be here for a few years, who's going to provide solid, above-average performance at his position. If they're going to do that, I don't think Mitch Haniger gets traded by himself. I could see him getting traded with a high-leverage reliever, Kendall Graveman, and you start packaging a little bit more together to make a, p- a package that makes sense for a contending team that says, all right, we have two years with these two guys. We're, we're going we're gonna to be okay. And we can afford to give up on this guy who maybe has three or four years, but it's not going to play to this level. He's not going to be one of the 20 best relievers in baseball, and he's not going to be one of the 10 best hitters in baseball. Like that's, We can give up on this guy for this championship sort of opportunity. I think that's more likely in terms of what the Mariners Well, that would be interesting. Do. You don't see that very often at the deadline, but if you did, you know, my key is, is focus on those last two months of the season. That is going to play into it more than I think it has ever played into it on a team that doesn't look to be making the postseason. You want those guys thinking that they are at least pushing for the postseason. They're above. They're basically at or above. Oh, for all the panicking, you know, they're terrible, and oh, throwing the towel, and it's another. Yeah, they're with half the roster injured and some of your best out, players exactly, injured. and a lot of young players that could improve quite a bit over the next couple. They should be on upward trajectory. It's not supposed to get worse. Now let me so tell you my excitement level. Like. If Mitch Haniger ends up signing an extension sometime in the next it's 55 days, if he ends up signing that extension, my excitement level will be through the roof because you will have now determined the cornerstone player for your next playoff team. Jared Kelnick may be your cornerstone player for your next dynasty, but your next playoff team is going to be built on Mitch Haniger. If that works out correctly, and you'll know that by the deadline, that would be so exciting because to me, that's a win next year move. If Mitch Haniger is for sure here for the long term, that's a huge question that's answered. And now supplementing that team with veterans in next year's free agent class becomes so much more of a viable scenario to say, yeah, that's a playoff team next year. That would be a great thing. But I see Mitch Haniger as much as I see any other player as a bet on myself player. 
and a lot of it because of everything that I just said that he does that could keep him playing until 40. Now, let me press you on that because I would have thought that Marco Gonzalez would have been that similar guy. That he would have been, a, I'm going to bet on myself, I believe in myself, I have such a strong sense of self-worth and belief in myself that I'm going to let my results speak for themselves and I'm going to test whatever market. And that that didn't happen. So Was Marco a top five pitcher at that time? He wasn't, but was his mentality of a top five pitcher? Because that guy believes in himself and he always has. Well, yeah, there's one thing <laughs> right up until they don't and they sign the contract. <laughs> right. And that's sort of what I'm asking about Mitch Haniger. Because to me, their mentalities in some ways in terms of their belief in themselves are really similar. They have an inordinate amount of belief in their abilities, their value, and their place in the game. And yet, Marco Gonzalez did sign a deal Mitch Haniger, it seems, and I don't know this, but I'm going to guess that he probably has been pushing off advances to get him signed for years now. Is there a, There's got to be a number. There's got to be a place that you can go to to say, yeah, th- this is my value. I believe that this I'm valued here. I could be wrong. I mean, obviously there's a number. There's a everybody. everybody there's a number that they would not refuse. There's... Right. Are we talking a ridiculous number? Or are we talking about a realistic or a market value number? Or maybe just a little bit over that market value? Well, the Mariners number. paid probably above market value for Kyle Seeger when he signed the deal. Well, yeah, but that was totally that you know different regime, different time. It was a different, different regime in a different time. But all, all that said, the Mariners have done that before. They've looked at it and said, you know what? We're going to value you the way we both believe you're valued, not the way the baseball values you. Yeah, but Seeger wanted a long-term home when that happened. And I haven't seen that indication hmm. with Mitch. So I, I I really, and you might look at it, well, well, the injuries he's had, and that I think played into it with Marco too. I mean, Marco's a guy that told me in his first year he only had so many bullets in his arm. Hmm. So I think that that has always been in the back of his mind. I don't think Mitch believes that. And with the injuries that he has had, I don't think that there is anything the equivalent of a Tommy John surgery. Hmm. On the elbow. You know, most had nothing to do with him participating in a baseball activity. So I I think that that probably played a little bit more into it with Marco than it would with Mitch. I think Mitch probably believes in his physical soundness more than Marco did at the time. Mitch is a risky, Mitch Hanniger is a risky proposition no matter how you slice it. And he has been for two years now. And I've been... I've been on the front end of trade Mitch Haniger for because years. Because he gets hit by baseballs? You and I have talked about that. The- I mean, the oblique is really kind of the only thing. The, the biggest problem with Mitch on the physical side, other than getting hit by baseballs, is he would push it too hard in the recovery. And I think he's probably learned something at this point. You know, it's not the equivalent of a Tommy John that's happened to him. He's had obliques because he pushed it too hard. It hasn't been something has built up or he... I, I think I don't think there are as many questions, especially now that he is out there, knock on wood. It's not like Kyle Lewis's knee where he's had two surgeries on it True. already. True. It, the fact remains he's played one full season in baseball. Regardless got of... Got hit in the face, got hit elsewhere. I, you know, I don't James know Paxton how... James Paxton tripped on a sprinkler. He got his fingers caught in some stuff. Like Things happen for some reason, and I don't know what it is, but there are some guys who have things happen to them. And... You know what? Mitch Haniger may very well never have another injury in his career, but that's a long, long, long time to miss baseball for one injury that compounds into another injury. 
And to me, there's there's always going to be question, and that's part of what we talked about. His value in baseball is down because of that. That there are teams that are going to wonder whether or not his future is going to be. A, is a it down, or are they just going to use that against the Mariners in negotiations? All the same. If he's good enough, <laughs> then they'll they'll ignore that. And so I I I'm curious. He's a risky proposition to me. Whether you keep him, whether you trade him, there's lots of risk involved. But it's a big, big, big decision, and I think the Mariners are going to have to make it really soon. Well, they don't have to do anything. They couldn't let him play the contract out. They have What they have to do is assess the value to the team in that situation. And again, you can't just let a young team that is on the up, up, up think that they're climbing towards something, and then, okay, you're on your own right now. This isn't one of those years where they were two years away, three years away, and they could easily do that. Right now, I mean, as much as they're trying to sell it to the fans that this is what they're doing, it's even more important that they sell it to their own players. And they're going to need to show something, and it might just be by not making a move that they are committed to that. The guys are going to need to see that as well. Yeah, big big stuff coming up. I, uh, I'll be disappointed if they don't make a decision. Maybe I can rephrase it that way because I think that his value will never be higher than it is on July 31st. We've had conversations for years about his value will never be higher, and I think it's always remained. Every year that's gone on, his value goes down. To who, though? It might be. To, to other teams that would trade for him. And the key will and, be the and value the Mariners may not team. see it that way. They may say that next year— They very year, well might, but I won't. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's going to be what it means to those last two months. As far it, it, how it impacts the plan, I think at this point is most important. Well, this is good stuff, Shannon. I mean, there there are three hours worth of content we'll have to cover in the next couple of months and weeks because this team is fascinating. There are a lot of important questions that are being asked. There are a lot of important answers that are being answered now. I'm really, really fascinated to see how this next two months go because. To me, this decides everything in terms of how close they are next year. The next two months will determine how close that they are to a playoff team next year. And uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Keeping it interesting.